This episode is brought to you by EarthBreeze, the one New Year's resolution I've ever been able to stick to. It's completely transformed my laundry experience. Gone are the big, heavy plastic jugs, the measuring out of detergent every time. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze wash sheet. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze eco sheet. It looks just like a dryer sheet, except it's slightly less dry. It's ultra concentrated detergent. I throw it in the wash and that's it. Never think about it again. Laundry comes out great, clean, fresh smelling, no harmful chemicals or bleaches or dyes or anything in there. If you want to change up your laundry game this year, right now my listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled, that's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. años tenemos un desastre ambiental en la Amazonia Norte de Ecuador. This is Pablo Fajardo. He's the guy who, along with Luis Llanza, won the Goldman Prize back in 2008 for his work fighting Texaco and then Chevron in Ecuador. Remember, Chevron took an ad out about how he and Luis were frauds. Fajardo was actually the lead attorney on the case against Chevron in Ecuador. But because Chevron targeted Donziger in its press push, he shows up less and less in stories about the case from 2010 onward. But he's still working on it today. We're going to get into more of that as the season goes on. But first, a quick recap, because we're halfway through this season and it's a very complicated story. Okay, so to recap, from the late 1960s to 1990, Texaco drilled for oil in the Ecuadorian rainforest. The company helped to start the oil industry there. A large group of both indigenous and non-indigenous residents say Texaco left a big mess and they should clean it up. An Ecuadorian lawyer named Cristobal Bonifaz first filed a suit against Texaco in New York in 1993. When Chevron bought Texaco in 2001, it inherited this case, which was still going on. Like Texaco before it, Chevron lobbied for the case to be tried in Ecuador. In 2003, the New York courts agreed and the case was refiled, this time against Chevron in Ecuador. At this point, Boniface kind of fades into the background, Donziger and Fajardo start to get a lot more involved, and they start to bring worldwide attention to the case. But still, it drags on for years and years and years. When we left off last time, it was 2009. The plaintiffs were on a bit of a winning streak and Chevron was gearing up for a fight. Or really another round in this fight. I didn't call this season La Lucha Nungla for nothing. In episode four, we dug into the details of one particular tactic, filing a complaint before an international arbitration tribunal. That happened in September 2009. Weeks before that complaint was filed, Chevron released on YouTube a batch of videos taken with hidden spy cameras, like those pen cameras that you see in novelty shops or advertise in Sky Mall. Teeny tiny cameras hidden inside normal looking pens. Chevron claimed the videos showed that the judge in the Ecuador case was being bribed. 
It all had a very National Enquirer, caught on tape, judge accepting bribes sort of vibe to it. In most of the tapes, an Ecuadorian man named Diego Borja and an American named Wayne Hansen were meeting with the guy who was the judge in the case at that time, Judge Juan Nunez. Here's a tidbit from one of these videos, and just to note, the audio quality is terrible because, you know, pen camera. So, entonces, usted dice 70 días maximo. 60 days. So, to set up these meetings with Judge Nunez, Borja and Hansen had claimed to be environmental remediation experts who were tracking the case because there might be work in it for them eventually. When these videos came out, Judge Nunez said, yeah, I met with these guys. I explained the case to them and how Ecuadorian law works. None of that's illegal. That all tracks with the tapes that he's in. He insisted he'd done nothing wrong. But still, in September, right around the time Chevron was filing its arbitration claim, Nunez recused himself from the case because of this whole scandal. That set the trial back months because a new judge had to come on board, familiarize himself with the case, and read through thousands and thousands of pages of documents and filings and transcripts, all of that. A couple weeks after all of this was in the news, the Associated Press published a story that poked a lot of holes in these videos, especially the credibility of the American, Wayne Hansen. As the story unfolded over the next few months, it just kept getting weirder. It sounds more like a Coen Brothers movie than a law case. And that was the tip of the iceberg. That wild ride, right after this quick break. New Year's resolutions are almost destined to fail. I resolve almost every year to work less, and we all know it's not going to happen. <laughs> but one thing I have been able to stick to, and you can too, is switching up the way you do laundry in 2024 and grabbing Earthbreeze. I know what you're thinking, laundry is not so fun. Those huge, heavy plastic jugs measuring out the right amount, getting goo all over the place. It's annoying. Earthbreeze Eco Sheets totally changed the game. Unlike powder or liquid, Earthbreeze actually looks like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent. And it's super easy. You just throw it into your laundry and that's it. There's no measuring, there's no lugging anything around. Your laundry comes out clean, it smells great. I love it. It's genuinely made my life easier. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, free of bleach and dyes, so it's perfect for every load. You'll never run out of detergent again thanks to Earthbreeze's easy, flexible subscription. You can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties, and you save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Plus, shipping is always free, and Eco Sheets are packaged in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. It also gets rid of one more plastic thing in your life. And the company has donated over 100 million loads of laundry and counting to those in need. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. 40, 40. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E.com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. 
Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. to tell you about one of my favorite climate podcasts, Mothers of Invention. Their tagline is a man-made problem with a feminist solution. So good. And Mothers of Invention is a climate justice podcast like you've never heard before. Join former Irish president Mary Robinson, comedian Maeve Higgins, and series producer Thamali Kodikara as they celebrate Black, Brown, and Indigenous leaders all over the world fighting from the front lines. Of course, one of my personal favorites is their recent episode with Mary Annie's Hegler, my co-host on Hot Take, and my favorite person to listen to on climate justice. But really, I listen to every episode. They're all great. Find Mothers of Invention wherever you listen to podcasts. Wayne Hansen does a great job of playing the bumbling, confused American in these videos. Here he is asking how much longer the trial might go on. And we have quantities months for the 45 more days and the trial is over. Again, Hansen claimed to be a remediation expert who was hoping to get in on some of the work on that front once Chevron was found guilty. But in October 2009, the Associated Press reported that Hansen was in fact an ex-con with no verifiable experience in remediation work. That story read, quote, Hansen in two brief interviews told AP he had water treatment projects in Mexico and Ecuador. But when a reporter questioned those claims, he hung up. Chevron claimed to have no association with Hansen, but the company did offer to pay for any security and legal fees that resulted from his role in these videos. But remember, there was someone else in those tapes too, Diego Borgia. And Borgia was a different story. Initially, Chevron described him as a quote-unquote good Samaritan. But later it came out that Borgia and his wife, Sarah Portilla, had both worked for Chevron at various points. At that point, Chevron updated their description of Borgia to a logistics contractor for them. But also Borgia, his uncle, and Chevron's attorneys had offices in a building that Borgia's uncle owned. In June, a couple months before the videos were released, Chevron moved Borgia and his wife to the U.S. The company claims that was done to protect the Borgias. They rented the couple a house in California and paid them a stipend of $10,000 a month for about two years. We only know all of this stuff because the plaintiffs hired a private investigator to look into Borgia and Hansen, which turned up all kinds of stuff, including some tapes of their own. 
audio recordings of calls between Borgia and an acquaintance that make Borgia seem like, well, let's say not quite a good Samaritan. Here's a moment from one of those tapes. You'll hear Borgia's acquaintance first and then him. You can tip the balance to either side, his acquaintance says. Of course, and for either of the two sides, look at how much it tipped just now, Borgia says. This was around the time that Nunez had just recused himself. What they haven't been able to do in how long? A year or something, Borgia says. They threw that judge out in what, three days, two days? There are several of these tapes, and some of them also called Chevron scientific experts into question. Borja talks about collecting samples for the company, which he says he's been doing since 2004. He also claims to have set up a bunch of supposedly independent labs to test samples for Chevron. And documents that were submitted to the Ecuadorian court do show not only that Borja's wife worked for the lab that Chevron used to test contamination samples, but also that Borgia was handing some samples off directly to her. None of this looked good for Chevron, but by this point, late 2009, they had brought on the law firm Gibson Dunn. And lawyer Randy Mastro was busy gathering evidence of his own about the plaintiff's scientific experts. There were a series of wow moments. Here's Mastro talking to us via Zoom from his place in New York, describing what he dug up on the plaintiffs once Chevron brought Gibson Dunn in to help. One of the very first of these subpoenas that we were able to uh, uh, issue in the United States was to compel the testimony of a scientific expert who Steve Donziger had hired named uh, Dr. Charles Kambacher from Georgia. If you're wondering how Chevron's lawyers were able to subpoena things from the plaintiffs when the case was still going on in Ecuador, I get it. It seems very weird. Here's the deal. There's a section of the U.S. legal code called Section 1782. And it says basically if you're an American or an American company or organization and you're involved in a lawsuit in another country and there are documents or American witnesses that might help you in that litigation, you can subpoena them. That's what Master used to get Kalmbacher's deposition. Uh, and uh, he was supposedly plaintiff's expert in Ecuador, confirming that based on research and tests that he had done, um, that there was significant environmental contamination done in the Amazon. Uh, but when we compelled Dr. Kalmbacher's testimony in Georgia, uh, what he actually testified was that. The report that Steve Donziger and his Ecuadorian lawyers submitted to the court in Ecuador was not Kambacher's conclusion, that uh, he had not, in fact, concluded that there was significant uh, environmental uh, damage in the work that he had done. It was further revealed that uh, Donziger had asked him for signature pages separate from his report. The plaintiffs, of course, deny this. They say Kalmbacher was fired, that he thought they owed him money, and this deposition was some sort of revenge. 
Donziger says Kalmbacher authorized the submission of his report and that he sent his signature separately because he'd already returned home to Georgia. In any case, it was enough for Gibson Dunn to get the go-ahead from a U.S. judge, District Court Judge Louis A. Kaplan of the Southern District of New York, to file more subpoenas. Next, Mastro went after Douglas Beltman, the executive VP from Stratus Consulting that we heard from last time. It's a disgrace. Um, They treated Ecuador like a trash heap. He also subpoenaed Beltman's colleague, Anne Maist. At issue is the report by Richard Cabrera, the court-appointed expert. Remember I mentioned before that this guy was going to come up again and again. Cabrera and the Cabrera report were becoming increasingly contentious, in part because Donziger was talking about the report a lot in the press, and because it was Cabrera's report that said this is how much Chevron should owe to clean up this mess, and it was in the many, many billions of dollars. According to Mastro, Cabrera was supposed to be neutral and not tied to either side in the case. And he was increasingly finding that that was not the case at all. Here's Mastro explaining more. Uh, We sought uh, by subpoena the records and then testimony from a firm that became a a principal outside expert for Donziger and his Ecuadorian lawyers. Uh, Stratus, um, uh, scientists at Stratus. And um, when those records, you know, were ordered produced uh, pursuant to our subpoena, um, they showed that the supposedly independent expert in Ecuador who had been appointed by the court to be an objective independent party in assessing environmental damage and how much there was and attributing it uh, to uh, to parties, uh, if there were found to be environmental damage, that in fact that was not an independent objective report. It had been ghostwritten, word for word, by Stratus. Donziger says there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for this. That allegation is just a bunch of BS on every level. Um, Stratus did write or draft most of the Cabrera report. Um, Cabrera, though, reviewed it, signed it. They worked together. There was a massive amount of information, you know, literally tens of thousands of chemical sampling results, and any single individual would never have the capacity to pull all that together, analyze it um, by himself or herself. So we did what Chevron did and what's customary in courts all over the world, including in the United States. We, we, We used our experts to support Cabrera, who was also our expert because we were the ones who asked for his report and Chevron did not. In fact, Donziger says Chevron was doing the same thing with their experts. So Chevron used the same method um, in support of its experts. You know, it would use its U.S.-based experts to help its Ecuadorian experts write their reports. And this was standard operating procedure under Ecuadorian law in, in, in terms of how expert reports were, were done in Ecuador in all cases, and in particular this case. But Mastro thought the plaintiff's involvement with Cabrera was fishy, and Kaplan, a U.S. judge, agreed. So in May 2010, he okayed Mastro's next and possibly most critical move, a subpoena for all of the outtakes of the documentary Crude, some 600 hours worth of tape, shot by documentary filmmaker Joe Berlinger. So you have this building block. You have what happened with Kambacher. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, simultaneous to this, there's uh, 
proceedings are going on to get documents and testimony from Stratus, Stratus officials. Right. But, um, Joe Berlinger had uh, made a documentary, Crude, um, that had been on the film festival circuit. Um, and uh, the issue of whether Cabrera uh, was an independent objective expert who'd done an independent report and reached conclusions independently um, was critical in the Ecuadorian proceeding because it was the basis on which Donziger and his Ecuadorian lawyers were asking the Ecuadorian court to impose billions in damages on Chevron. So Joe Berlinger uh, produces Crude and it's, it shows on the festival circuit. Then it comes out uh, on Netflix. And uh, a curious thing was picked up by uh, the, the Chevron team. There was a change in scenes from the film festival version to the Netflix version. Um, and the, the scene that had been changed or deleted was a scene that showed someone supposedly working as an independent expert for Cabrera was in fact meeting with the plaintiffs, lawyers, and their clients at a session that Joe Berlinger with Steve Donziger in attendance. And then by the time it came out on Netflix, that scene had been deleted. The filmmaker Joe Berlinger fought this subpoena and the characterization of his work as not journalism. It became a really big, high-profile First Amendment case in its own right, and we're going to get into that in future episodes. But for now, keep in mind, this is all happening in 2010 and heading into 2011. And there's still no verdict in Ecuador yet. So you've got the international arbitration proceeding happening. Then you've got all this 1782 action from Mastro. Eventually, he does get the crude outtakes, and he files more and more subpoenas. They get Donziger himself for weeks of depositions, and he's even required to hand over his personal diary and various correspondence between himself and the lawyers in Ecuador, him and Pablo Fajardo, him and various litigation financers, everything. Again, this is while the case is still going on in Ecuador. Even with all that, though. You know, it was very clear in, I'd say, um, December of 2010, January 2011, that the case was going to end and they were going to lose. I mean, it was just obvious, they, you know, that all their little tricks had not worked and the case was ripe for decision. The evidence against them was overwhelming and they were going to lose. So instead of just accepting that fact and appealing, they, prior to the issuance of the judgment in Ecuador, they filed the RICO case against us, describing what they thought was a criminal conspiracy to extort money from them. RICO stands for Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations. It's a U.S. federal law that was created to deal with the mob and various other types of organized crime. In more recent years, it's been used against big corporations. For example, RICO has been invoked in a lot of the opioid litigation. In its initial RICO complaint against Donziger and Fajardo and the plaintiffs, Chevron alleged that the legal team had cooked up a sham case and then set about falsifying evidence and bribing judges to make it stick. About two weeks after this RICO case was filed, the Ecuadorian courts finally delivered a judgment. Eight years after the trial had started, Chevron was guilty and it owed more than $18 billion in damages. 
So when the decision in Ecuador came down in our favor, that came down two weeks after Chevron had already tried to preempt it by suing us under the RICO case. So when the decision came down in Ecuador, I was in New York um, and, you know, with some other lawyers in the U.S. who had been working on the case. And we got the news and we were obviously thrilled. But we were also at that point dealing with the RICO case. So it was all confusing. And in a weird way, Chevron had stolen the moment. The judge in Ecuador, by this point a guy named Nicolas Zambrano, made a point of saying that he had not relied on either Kalmbacher's report or the Cabrera report. Not because he'd found evidence of a problem with either one, but because he didn't want the controversy swirling around the two to undermine his ruling. Next time on Drilled. So in the mornings, we would be lined up in this very long line. We had to get there very early, and it was in October, November, so it was cold. So we would be all bundled up. We would be in this long line to get through security to get into the courthouse, and we'd have our blow-ups and our boxes with us and our briefcases. And, um, and then you would see a row of five black Lincoln uh, Suburbans arrive with tinted windows and out of it would come the senior management of Chevron, their head of litigation, their entire legal team, and they would uh, they were ushered in through a separate entrance as VIPs so they didn't have to stand in the line with all the rest of us. Wow. And they would get out and go straight into the courtroom. So we would have been in line for 45 minutes when they would arrive and go straight through. Drilled is an original production of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. The show was created, reported, and written by me, Amy Westervelt. My co-reporter this season is Karen Savage. Our editor is Julia Ritchie. The show's editorial consultant is Rika Murthy. Mixing and mastering by Mark Bush. Original score by B. Beeman. Fact-checking by Wudan Yan. Our artwork for this season was done by the super talented Matt Fleming. Special thanks to Trevor Gowan and Emily Gertz. If you are a Patreon subscriber, thank you. Your money is helping to make this season. And as a special thank you to Patreon members, we're providing a variety of benefits, including bonus content and early access to episodes in this season. If that sounds appealing to you or you just want to support our work, go over to patreon.com slash drilled and sign up. We also have some merch associated with that. You can find stories, documents, and photos related to this season on our website at drillednews.com. That's it for this time. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Next week.